It's good to be with you today, and also for those that are watching, we're thankful that you're with us, and we just pray that God will speak to our hearts in a very special way, that he'll be glorified throughout the service. Let me make a few announcements at this time of the service before we get into the message. First of all, next weekend, from 10 uh, starting at 10 o'clock, we're going to have the packing for Operation Christmas Child, right? Amen. And then, also, uh, I'm gonna, we're going to have a special treat tonight, and also uh, a Sunday morning right after um, uh, homecoming, and that is uh, one of our young men here in the church who uh, God's working his life in a very special way. He's uh, uh, very active in our uh, uh, ministry here, and uh, I, you know, I appreciate the opportunity preachers gave me and uh, when I was growing up in Rome to preach uh, and to have that opportunity to see uh, what direction God was leading me in. And so we're going to have uh, Daniel Reeves preach tonight and also uh, the Sunday after. Now I'll be here and I'll have my sheet and great. No, I'm uh, <laughs> just kidding, but uh, <laughs> but I'm looking forward to it. I really am. And so... Uh, uh, you be in prayer with him. I, uh, I see God working in a big way in his life and Lindsay's life. And so y'all just be in prayer for them. And then, let me see, homecoming, another special treat. Uh, uh, not the preaching part, but the music. Uh, we'll have a guest music person coming in. Y'all may know them or not. Uh, they've been on tour for a long time. They used to be around here. And now, Lim Leroy. And uh, is it Elena or Elena? Uh, one of the two. Anyway, it's a lady that's coming with him that's, that was in his church. She plays a, uh, the violin and sings, and so he'll be playing. And, and what they'll do is they'll come and do some special music uh, during the uh, uh, regular normal or whatever you want to call it, worship time, uh, homecoming. And then afterwards, we'll eat downstairs and then come back up here, and they will do a performance for us. And so I know that you'll be excited about that. Uh, many of you know Lim, and he, he was the uh, music director here when I first came here part-time. And so uh, he's, he's gone to uh, other places to serve in Florida and, and I believe, uh, Charlotte. So uh, you, uh, you be in prayer for him and this lady. They'll be coming with him, and, and I know that y'all will... Uh, be excited about this time and want to be a part of it. So uh, he's excited about coming back, and so y'all y'all be in prayer that God will use him in a mighty way. Now, as I have mentioned those, I would like for you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. Any other announcements we can do at the end of the service? Those three I wanted to make mention before I forgot them. Okay. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 34 are the verses that we'll be looking at this morning. And I want us to think about this, working miracles at Jericho once again. Uh, you remember the Old Testament, the working of Jericho, where the Israelites went into the promised land, and they blew their trumpets and shouted, and what happened? The walls of Jericho came tumbling down, and God uh, allowed them to capture the city, and so... 
But there were some people that were involved in that that were in very important, and uh, one person especially was Rahab, the harlot. And we'll talk about her later on in service. But uh, now we see them uh, going to Jericho again and a miracle being performed. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for all that you've done for us, for your wonderful glory. And I just pray that you will be lifted up throughout this entire message, throughout this entire service with what is to follow, the invitation and then the closing and, I, and then the leaving. Because as we leave this place, it's just the beginning of what you have done in our hearts and our lives today. As you've spoken to us, may we go out being challenged to live the way that you would have us to live. And we can only do that by your grace, by your Holy Spirit. And so we just ask for that. Thank you, God. Enlighten our minds and our hearts as only you can do and we just will thank you and praise you for it in jesus name amen okay in matthew chapter 20 beginning in verse 29 and reading through verse 34 and as they were going out from jericho a great multitude followed him and behold two blind men sitting by the road hearing that jesus was passing by cried out saying lord have mercy on us son of david and the multitude sternly told them to be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. And moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. We know that Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem. We know that the climactic event is soon to occur. We know that he is headed to his trial, his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. And so there are many hurdles along life's way that we come up on that we must successfully get over and Jesus has successfully gotten over many hurdles in his life heading towards the goal the destination that he is supposed to be going towards but not only that we know that he is training his disciples to also successfully uh, jump these hurdles, to move over these hurdles. Now, I don't know about you, but growing up, I was involved for a little while in track. And we had this one ball player that also ran track. And he was always, uh, you know, doing his stretches and, and practicing. And, and it was amazing to watch him run the hurdles. He just glided over them. Uh, it, it was just something, uh, you know, you love to watch. When he played football, he had the same movement as he moved downfield. Matter of fact, I think he was the, the one that caught the winning touchdown in, in the 1965 state championship playoff against St. Pius in Atlanta. 
just moving downfield at that pace and those legs just moving at a certain way. But I asked him one time because I tried the hurdles. He said, why don't you try them? And after stumbling and running into them and, and trying to run around them, I, um, he said, that's not the way you do it. I, uh, you know, I talked with him and, and he talked about his preparation and what went into it and the and he was always stretching and he didn't want muscles pulled and and also he wanted to be able to get those legs out where he said he could put a coin up over the top of the uh, the hurdle and not the you know not knock it off I mean he just glided over him he was very good at it I was not and so as we you know, as I talked to him, he said, there's a lot of preparation that goes into it. But one thing that I have to do no matter what, even if my leg or whatever touches a, a hurdle, he said, I must keep my eye on the finish. And he said, when, if I don't, I'll go over that hurdle thinking about that touching and I will stumble along the way and stumble into other hurdles. And I watched people. You know, I did different runs uh, in track, and I, and I would watch them stumble into other hurdles. And I'd see some just kind of stop and, and just run around it. And, you know, as, as I look at that, hurdles are in our life. Now, it's how we're going to approach them. And I think focus is a, a key here. And they had stumbled over this hurdle over and over and over again, the disciples had. And this hurdle was kingdom living. Kingdom living and, and what it meant. They wanted to sit on the throne. Do you remember? And they even had the mother of uh, James and John come and, and ask for the right and the left throne. They had a misconception. Their, their focus was wrong as far as the finish line. And Jesus was trying to teach them because they kept on stumbling over this hurdle. They weren't moving forward and he knew that it was so very important for them to understand because he was soon to go to Jerusalem not to overtake Rome but to finish what he had been called to do, what he had been sent to do. And that was to do the Father's will, to go and to suffer and die and be buried and to be raised again. And he wanted them to understand that because if they were going to be followers of his, if they were going to be kingdom people, then that hurdle they must get over also. In other words, he didn't come to be served, but to serve. To have that kind of attitude. And so this was a hurdle that they kept stumbling over. The last few chapters he's been training his disciples for this event. And this one hurdle in particular. Jesus has been teaching them that kingdom running, kingdom living was different from the world's thought of kingdom living. He has been teaching them that preparation and, and participation in the kingdom race or the kingdom life involved humility. It involved dependency. As a little child coming into the kingdom, who is the greatest? These little children who are dependent upon God. It involved faith. 
So Jesus has told the disciples what kingdom life is involved or what all is involved in kingdom life. And once again, he demonstrates it to them. And in this passage, he'll show the disciples what being first in the kingdom involves. As Jesus entered Jericho, there were two blind men who were asking for mercy. Crowds surrounded him. And the noise was roaring, of course, of the talking. And, and, you know, it was probably hard to hear one another. Excitement, celebration, going to Jerusalem for the Passover. And two blind men, they cried out asking for mercy. And so the people were looking and watching, and Jesus comes to this hurdle, the hurdle that must not be ignored, the hurdle that must not be avoided, the hurdle that must be learned and incorporated into the life, and that is the hurdle of compassion. So the pressure has been mounting. He is close to the finish line, Jesus is. And this is a hurdle of kingdom living. Kingdom living of, a, of servanthood. The hurdle they continue to stumble over. So what better time than now where Jesus is you know, headed to the cross to demonstrate the depth and the breadth of compassion. He was on his way to the crucifixion. The Lord was never, and, and this is so important, even though he had a goal, even go, though he had a purpose, all of this involved his concern, his compassion. In other words, he was never too in too much agony for himself to be insensitive to the agony of others. How often we think about ourselves, oh, woe is me, I do, everybody does just about, oh, look at me, oh, oh, look what I'm going through, oh, look at, at what I have to face. But Jesus was never too insensitive for this. He was never too preoccupied with himself. It's all about him. It's all about him going to the cross. It's all about, yes, the dying, but the glorification afterwards. No, it was all about doing the Father's will and all that involved. He wasn't so preoccupied with himself and his own goal and his own purpose and destination that he didn't show compassion to others. And it says, and as they were leaving Jericho, a crowd followed him. And two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd sternly told them to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. Now, the first thing that we need to see here is their persistent plea. I, I want you to look at these men. As they, 
were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. And here were these two blind men. Jesus had just finished his ministry in Galilee, ministered on the east side of the Jordan in Perea, and now recrossed to Jordan, back into Judah, just above the Dead Sea. And it was near Jericho. This was a city that was a city that was considered a jewel in the barren wilderness that surrounded the Dead Sea. It is known as the city of the palms. Herod built a fort and winter palace there. It said that when it snowed in Jerusalem at times, only 15 miles away, there was a warm and pleasant Jericho below. Jericho was where Rahab the harlot lived. She was a prostitute and a pagan Gentile who trusted in God, the God of Israel and who helped the two spies of Israel of, of the Old Testament when uh, Moses had, had uh, led the uh, Israelites out of uh, you know, Egypt. She was uh, rewarded for that, that uh, place, uh, that, uh, that action that she had. And she was placed into the camp with, and her family with, uh, with the children of God for the rest of her days. And she is one woman named in the genealogy of Jesus. Jericho was also near the place where Jesus was tempted for 40 days by Satan. So Jesus was leaving Jericho. And Matthew tells us that these two men among the crowd approached him now blindness is what their problem was it was a common thing in the ancient times because of the conditions that they lived in and the health uh, problems and so hearing that Jesus was passing by we're told his name in the other gospels Bartimaeus and his friend cried out Lord have mercy on us son of David now the the root word from which cried out is taken is a word used for any sort of screaming or anguishing shout. In other words, it was the ranting of insane people, <laughs> you know, like that, or, uh, and also a, a woman's cry at, at childbirth. And uh, the, this same word was used to describe the Canaanite woman near Tyre and Sidon who cried out for Jesus to, to heal her daughter. And it was also used for the crowd shouting for Jesus' crucifixion. So the picture here is of two blind men crying out in desperation, realizing that maybe this is their last possible hope of seeing again. And so they were therefore shouting at the top of their voices. And they didn't care what others thought. Nothing was going to stand in their way between them and Jesus. So it was amazing what these uh, two blind men, physically blind, saw. You said, well, I thought you said they were blind. Yes, but I, I'm saying what they saw spiritually.
they saw a great deal. If you'll look at it, the first address Jesus to Jesus was Lord. Now, this was not uncommon. Lord was a common term, but they respected him. They knew him as someone of great authority to be able to heal these people. It was addressed not only for dignitaries, but anyone due special respect. And so they had special respect for him. Also, they asked for mercy. Amazing thing. And then they called him by his messianic title, Son of David. Now with asking for mercy, the blind men, they were acknowledging their unworthiness and throwing themselves entirely upon Jesus' mercy. Their actions may have been loud and obtrusive, but that only was because they wanted Jesus to hear them and not to pass them by. He was their only hope. And so one cannot be dogmatic about the extent of their faith at this point, but they clearly recognized Jesus' Messiahship and his supernatural power to heal. Have mercy on us, son of David. Now, when a person steps out to God, and this is so very important, on all the faith they have, even if it's incomplete and weak, the Lord will meet him or her at the point that they step out and lead that person to redemption if they're willing to be led none of our of us have complete faith but what faith we do have God honors and he will continue to honor it and draw us into his presence as we uh, exercise our faith and so the Lord declared through Jeremiah you will seek me and find me and when you search for me with all your heart he will be found so Jesus had already performed one healing similar to this in Matthew chapter 9 and this healing of the blind man was very important for it reiterated a very important teaching point to them. They were to learn to jump over this hurdle. And what was that? That Jesus had not come to serve or be served, but to serve. Those who may have considered themselves low lives were those whom the Son of Man had come to serve also. Isn't it amazing? We will serve people a lot of times, but our servitude is not out of the heart like God desires for it to be so often. We'll serve them for, mo uh, for our alternative motives. In other words, uh, we have something in mind to get from that person. We see that person and we say, well, you know, if we do this, then they'll help us get here, or, or if we do that, then we'll please them and we can move up or or they will do this for us or they'll be obligated to us that's so often our motive for servanthood but it wasn't Jesus he came to serve all people 
It didn't matter who they were. The two blind men had many commendable characteristics also. They were desperate. And you know, when we're approaching the kingdom of God, we need to be desperate people. We need to always remember that we can't do it on our own. That we need the help of God. This is why he wants us to constantly be in prayer. To continually be going before him. To always recognize him as the sovereign power. As a sovereign authority. And that way, when we get something accomplished, we know that he's giving us the talent. We've asked for his help and his guidance. And we are more apt to thank him and praise him and glorify him. And as we do, other people see that and they are touched with this or they are convicted by it by seeing the Spirit of God working in our lives. So, we see that they were very desperate. Not only that, but they acknowledge their own unworthiness. We as children of God, we never need to come to the Lord thinking that we have it together. That we are it. That we, you know, are the best thing in the kingdom of God. And that God got a great deal when he got us. We just don't come that way. We come acknowledging our unworthiness. There's nothing in us that is worthy for God to choose. We come as children of God realizing that we're sinners in desperate need of Him. And we should always remember that. Even when we start maybe uh, gaining uh, prestige or or uh, you know, we people get to know us and they see our talents and they see our gifts. We should always continually remember that there was nothing in us that that deserved that. God did it all, and we're doing it for one purpose, and that that is to glorify Him. They were persistent, and we as Christians need to be that way. God wants us to be that way. Well, well, why is that? Does He, you know? Uh, recognize that persistency and and he honors that yes he does you know why because if we're persistent we're acknowledging what about God that he's sovereign that he's in control that he's in authority and guess what that we're unworthy we can't do it on our own that we're desperate and guess what else if we're persistent then we are dependent upon him and we are relying upon him to work in us and through us And he is the one that's getting the honor and the glory and the praise for it all. Not only that, but they knew what they wanted. And God wants us not to just drift through life, but to know what we want. And the only way that we're we're to know what we want is for our will to be in accordance with God's will. And we do that by walking with God. And God reveals that. And our desires become whose desires? His desires. And that's what we need. And so they knew what they wanted. They allowed the Spirit of God to lead them to the right person. We always need to allow the Spirit of God to direct us. And to direct us to 
our Heavenly Father. And the declaration that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of David, was given to them by the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. We've got to realize, man, when the Scripture opens up to us, when we understand it, who gives it to us? Not because of our smartness. A lot of educated people read the Scripture and they don't know what it means. But we can know what it means because of the Holy Spirit revealing it to us. So the multitude, they responded with gladness. They jumped up and down. They shouted. They, they praised God. They said, hallelujah. Listen to these two blind men. We know you can do it. No, what did they do? They rebuked them. Be quiet. The world and Christians, as much as we hate to say it, we can be as callous as non-believers sometimes and as cruel especially to those that are not in our group in our party everyone in the crowd seemed to be better off physically economically and socially than these two blind men they seemed to be thinking the crowd did only of their selfish concerns therefore these needy men had you know only become an annoyance to them they were getting on their nerves and so these beggars they just remained as desperate as they always did though no matter what the crowd or how they reacted they were convinced that Jesus was the son of David the one who could help them more than a lot in the crowd were convinced of and so we see this compassionate response of Jesus. Look in verses 32 through 34. And Jesus stopped and called to them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened and, and moved with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. So as we come to this passage, we see that Jesus stopped and called to them. And asked them, what do you want me to do for you? It wasn't that Jesus hadn't heard them or he didn't know, uh, you know, that they were around. And he was unaware of it. They, uh, you know, they cry out to Jesus. And the, the need there was, it seemed like, that he was just passing them by. But Jesus did this for a reason. Jesus heard them. And when they got loud enough, he wanted the whole crowd to see. Jesus wanted this as a demonstration for the glory of God. And so he stood still. Isn't this amazing? The cry of a need stops him. He stood still right there. The one who had created the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth and put everything in rotation... In movement, he stood still. What made him stand still? A need. The needy. Jesus, in compassion, calls a blind man to speak their request. Now, did Jesus not know their request? Yes, he knew their request, but there, this was for a reason. And we need to understand that this is why. I've heard people say, well, why do I need to pray if God knows everything? Well, Jesus knew their request, but as 
so often with our request. He wants us to verbalize them to him. Why? Because that verbalizing is a verbalization of our faith in him. And that honors him. That pleases him. And so they said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be open and move with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained. They regained. Now this could mean that they had been uh, able to see at one time and they went blind. And so we see that they regained their sight and followed him. Jesus honors the faith and request of the men. And he touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. Jesus, you know, uh, used different ways to perform his healing mir uh, miracles. Sometimes he just simply spoke the word. Other times uh, by some action, uh, rubbing, you know, spitting and, and rubbing clay over uh, blind man's eyes or whatever it might be. In this case, Jesus touched their eyes. One thing, though, never changes the results. His miracles were always complete. You know, but more common and tragic than physical blindness is the spiritual blindness. And these two men had this. They had given, been given some enlightenment, but they had this. The context strongly suggests that they also sought deliverance, though, from the kind of blindness that they had. The spiritual blindness, not just physical. You see, man is born into this world spiritually blind. And to man's natural spiritual blindness, Satan even adds more to it. The scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelieving. That they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It seems there is evidence of the blind men's desire for spiritual as well as physical sight in the phrase that Matthew uses. Matthew said they followed him. Now it's true that many were following him and many were around him that were not his true disciples, but the fact that Luke says Bartimaeus and presumably his friend uh, not only followed Christ but were glorifying God. In Luke 18. Also in Mark, it reports that Jesus said to them, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And that's very important. Your faith has made you well. The phrase made well is from a Greek word which referred to any kind of rescue or deliverance, including deliverance from physical affliction or peril, which would be the physical blindness. But... It also is a common New Testament word for salvation, the deliverance from sin through Christ, and appropriately fits the meaning to Jesus' final words to these men in, in this uh, passage. Faith, another point that I mentioned, faith here was not a requirement for Jesus' healing, if you'll, for physical healing. If you'll understand that. You say, well, I thought people had to have faith. A lot of them did. He healed people at the re request of someone else, so didn't he? As in the case of the centurion who pleaded for the healing of his paralyzed servant. 
Not only that, the infants he healed. But let's go a step further. How about those that were dead? They sure didn't have any faith. But he healed them. They weren't able to exercise that faith. So we're told of New Testament people who were healed physically without faith. But none who were saved are reported to have been saved without faith. This is so, this is so because it is only by God's grace, working through faith, that a person can be saved. For by grace are you saved through what? Faith. And that not of yourselves is a gift of God. Not of works, lest that any man could boast. And so it therefore could very well be that in Jesus' declaration, your faith has made you well. He was giving an assurance to the man's salvation. He spoke exactly the same words to the single, single leopard who glorified God for his healing and came back to give Jesus thanks in Luke 17. Ten leopards were healed. Only one came back who was made well because of his faith and strongly suggesting whereas his cleansing was physical, his being made well was spiritual. So the healing provided the momentum for Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Jesus was once again teaching the disciples by demonstrations of humility shown through this compassion for this blind man. God views all people regardless of age, gender, nationality, social status, as equal value the greatest person in God's kingdom is the humblest servant towards fellow believers and we as believers must follow Jesus example by stooping to serve those considered least worthy by worldly standards but the unfortunate thing is we're tempted to serve ourselves by that I mean we want others to know about what we're doing so we talk about it all the time we build ourselves up we talk about all that we've done we talk about how whatever couldn't operate or exist without us we're always trying to sell other people as well as sell ourselves on ourselves how things would change if we just had respect and compassion for others. If we had that spirit of humility, that though means that we'd need to be a servant instead of wanting to be served. I was driving down the road yesterday and I forgot exactly where we were, but I saw a two stickers on the back of a car uh, you know they were nice stickers they said on the, both of them saying on both sides of the tag make America kind again that's nice but to make America kind again people are going to need to have a spirit of humility
A spirit that breeds respect. A spirit that desires servitude. A spirit that thinks of others more than themselves. May we as a church have that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come before you, we want to thank you for your wonderful love and grace, your demonstration of going to the cross and dying for us, the ultimate sign and picture and demonstration of uh, humility, servanthood. We know that you came this first time to serve, not to be served. And so, God, we know that you expect your kingdom people to exemplify this same kind of attitude and so help us to be that way help us to help our country see what kindness true kindness really is and that comes through a spirit of humility thank you God for demonstrating that for us help us because we have this old nature that wrestles with us and we want to put ourselves above others, whether we want to admit it or not so often, building ourselves up. Help us to realize that, God, we are so unworthy that we can't do anything on our own, that it's all of you, and that's what it's all about. We're made great by glorifying you, God, because that puts us in your kingdom. And they see you through us. That's what really makes us great. So God, thank you for this opportunity. Help us as a church demonstrate it. In Jesus' name, amen.